Amen. All right, well, before we get into the sermon, I have a baptism certificate uh, to hand out, so I'll go ahead and read this quickly. Uh, we have this certificate of baptism. This certificate is awarded to James Fiesick in recognition of his baptism on the 26th day of April of the year 2023, presented by Verity Baptist Church. And of course, we've got the verse there, Romans 6, 4, therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up by, from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. And we've got uh, a picture there for James to remember the day of his baptism. And let's go ahead and give him a round of applause. All right. Well, we're there in Ephesians uh, chapter number 5. And, of course, uh, this on Sunday mornings we've been going through a sermon series called Helping People Reach Their Full Potential. And we have been looking at this subject of reaching our potential and if you remember, last week I preached a maybe not so uh, popular sermon uh, that was geared towards the ladies. I preached a sermon last Sunday morning entitled, How to Help Your Husband Reach His Potential. And I preached uh, towards the ladies about how to help their husbands. And uh, some of the ladies walked out of here calling me a male chauvinist and misogynistic and uh, all those things. And of course, this morning I'm preaching a sermon geared towards the guys. I'm preaching a sermon entitled, How to Help Your Wife Reach Her Potential. Now, the only sad thing is that the guys got a heads up last week about this week's sermon. And as you can tell by our attendance, most men are cowards. So good for you if you showed up and uh, it says something about you. And uh, I'm preaching on this subject of how to help your wife reach her Full potential. Now, when we started this series several weeks ago, I told you that uh, part of this series was uh, inspired by a book that I'd read years ago by Dr. Jack Hiles called How to Help People Reach Their Potential. And to be very honest with you, I I've used very little of this book up to this point in the series. Uh, I've just kind of used it as, as, a, as a thought, and I've been writing my own sermons. And of course, I, to this morning, I've also written my own sermon. Um, but this morning, I'm going to be reading to you excerpts from this book and specifically from one chapter in this book on how to help your wife reach her potential. And the reason I'm doing that is because unlike women, most men are extremely sensitive and they're going to get upset with me because of the things that I'm preaching. So I'd rather you be upset with Dr. Jack Hiles than with me. Um, he's already dead, so you can be mad at him as much as you want. Um, last week, I gave you six statements regarding uh, how to help your husband, six statements towards the ladies. This week, I'm giving you eight statements for the men. Again, it's just the men need more help. Um, and uh, so we'll move through this as quickly as possible, but I want to give you eight statements this morning regarding how to help your wife reach her full potential. And this is a sermon, of course, geared towards the men. Now, you're there in Ephesians chapter 5, and I'd like you to look down at verse number 25. The Bible says this, and actually, before I even read the verses, let me just say this. Verses 26 and 27 is what I want to show you. But I'm going to read verses 25 and 28 as well because I want you to see the context uh, in which verses 26 and 27 uh, are in. I'm going to read the verse before and the verse after because I want you to understand the context of verses 26 and 27. The Bible says in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, that's the context Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. That is the context in which we find verses 26 and 27, that he, referring to Jesus, 
might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Now, notice verse 28, so you get the full context. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. So notice that in verse 25, we're told, husbands love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And in verse 28, we're told, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. And those two verses referring to how a husband should love his wife and how he should be love her uh, sacrificially like Christ loved the church. He should love her selflessly like he loves his own body. Those two verses are sandwiching in these two verses, which have to do with Christ and the church, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. And what I want you to understand is that the reason that this, these verses are formatted this way is because God is trying to show us a picture, and the idea is this, that in the same way that Christ loves his church, like we saw in verse 25, men should minister unto their wives. Then in verse 26 and 27, we're told that this is what Christ does for the church. He sanctifies and cleanses it by the word. And then we're brought back to the context of marriage in verse number 28. And let me just say this, and if you're taking notes, and I encourage you to take notes, and I'm going to give you eight statements. I'll try to move them through them as quickly as I can, but I've got a lot of things to say. Uh, the first statement is this, men, to help your wife. And let me just say this. This, this sermon is geared towards men, obviously married men uh, specifically. But if you're here and you say, I'm a man, but I'm not married. Uh, first of all, if, if you're a young man and you're not married, then this is the time for you to learn these things. All right. And if you are uh, a man and you say, I'm not married and I'm not going to be married anytime soon or, or, or whatever. Some of the stuff we're going to talk about applies to men in general. Uh, so please don't tune out just the marriage. And honestly, you ladies, it'd be good for you to hear some of these things anyway. Just like it was good for your husband to hear it last week, it's good for you ladies to hear it. So don't tune it out and, and, and follow along if you would. So here's statement number one. I've got eight statements for you this morning. Number one, to help your wife reach her full potential, men, you must be spiritual. To help your wife reach her full potential, you must be spiritual. Your job as a husband is to sanctify and cleanse your wife by the word. And I, I often say this to, to men. And, and we've had a lot of young couples. I think last year we did, I don't know, like six or seven weddings. And I often say this to young men, and it is this. If your wife is less spiritual as a result of your marriage, you are failing. And, and, and as a pastor, I'll just go ahead and say this, and I'm just going to go ahead and, and come out swinging because none of you are going to be happy with me by the end of the sermon. None of the ladies were happy with me by the end of the last sermon. None of the men are going to be happy with me by the end of this sermon. And to be very honest with you, I am the most at peace when I piss everyone off. So, like I said to you last week, my job is to preach the Word of God, not to be your friend. Now, if I can be your friend and preach the Word of God, we'll do that. But if I have to preach the Word of God and not be your friend, I'm okay with that too. It upsets me when a young man marries a young lady who was three to thrive, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, serving, soul winning, loving the Lord, serving God, then she gets married to this guy, and all of a sudden she's hit and miss, isn't soul winning, isn't serving. Men, that is a, uh, a, a, that, that is a description, and that is a fault of your leadership. 
you are failing as a leader if your wife was more right with God, was more zealous for the things of God, was more spiritual before she got say before she got married to you than she is now. You are failing. It's a failure. The whole job and purpose of a husband is to sanctify and cleanse his wife by the word. She should be more right with God. She should be more spiritual. She should be more consistent to church. She should be a better soul winner. She should be more in love with the Lord Jesus Christ as a result of her marriage to you than not. So to help your wife reach her full potential, you must be spiritual. You must be the spiritual leader in the home. You're there in Ephesians. Go backwards with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. You're there in Ephesians, Galatians, 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. Ephesians, Galatians, 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. Let me say this to the husbands. Your authority, which is something that men often want to throw in their wife's face, right? I mean, don't answer out loud, please, because it's just embarrassing. But how many husbands throw Ephesians 5 into an argument? The Bible says I'm in charge. I've often said this. If you have to tell your follower that you're in charge, you're not in charge. And men, you need to understand that your authority as her head, which is biblical, which is what the Bible says, is derived by your submission to your head. Because though you are the head of your home, you are not the head of the universe. You yourself have authority that you must submit to. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3. But I would have you know that the head, don't miss it, the head of every man is Christ. And the head of the woman is the man. Now we like that part. The head of the woman is the man. I'm supposed to be in charge. Okay, but, but wait a minute. The head of every man is Christ. And the head of every woman is the man. And the head of Christ is God. And what the Bible is teaching us here, men, is that your authority to lead, your authority to be in charge, your authority to have her, your right to have a wife who submits to your headship and your authority is, is directly correlated to your submission to your head, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. So before we start talking about how much she's submitting to you, the first conversation we should have is, how much are you submitting to Christ? What kind of a spiritual person are you? What kind of a leader are you? Because in order to help your wife reach her full potential, you must be spiritual. That's number one. Number two, go to Ecclesiastes if you would. Ecclesiastes chapter number nine. If you go, if you open up your Bible just right in the center, you're more than likely following the book of Psalms. Right after Psalms, you have the book of Proverbs, Proverbs, and then the book of Ecclesiastes. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Number one, to help your wife reach her full potential, you must be spiritual. Some of you are thinking to yourselves, that wasn't that bad. Oh, they get worse. I've, I've ordered these from most non-offensive to most offensive, so you just buckle up. Some of you don't understand my humor. And that's okay. I don't need you to. Number one, help your wife reach her full potential. To help your wife reach her full potential, you must be spiritual. Number two, to help your wife reach her full potential, you must make spending time with your wife and children, if you've got children, a priority. To help your wife reach her full potential, you must make spending time with your wife and children a priority. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 Verse 9, 
Notice just, just the first part of this verse. Notice what it says. Live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of the life of thy vanity. The Bible commands us, those of us that are married, to live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of the life of thy vanity, which he hath given thee under the sun, all the days of thy vanity, for that is thy portion in thy life and in thy labor, which thou takest under the sun. Now, I'd like you to keep your place there in Ecclesiastes. Put a finger or a bookmark or a bulletin or something there, because we're going to come back to that area of the Bible. And go with me to the New Testament book of First Peter. 1 Peter chapter number 3. If you start at the book of Revelation and go backwards, you've got the book of Jude, 3rd, 2nd, and 1st John, 2nd Peter, and then 1st Peter. Revelation, Jude, 3rd, 2nd, and 1st John, 2nd Peter, 1st Peter. 1st Peter chapter number 3. To help your wife reach her full potential, you must make spending time with your wife and children a priority. Notice what the Bible says in 1st Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7, the Bible says this, Likewise, ye husbands, just notice this little phrase, dwell with them. Dwell with them according to knowledge. Now, here's what I want you to notice. The Bible commands us that we are to dwell with them. Live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest. But the Bible also says here, according to knowledge. What does that mean? That means, husband, that you are to become the expert when it comes to your wife. Whatever, whatever your, whoever your wife is, whoever you're married to, your job is to become the expert of who she is. You are to get to know her. You are to dwell with her according to knowledge. You should know what she likes. You should know what she doesn't like. You should anticipate how she will react and respond to certain things and certain situations. By the way, just that right there will, uh, will alleviate a lot of problems in your marriage if you just got to know your wife. You're supposed to dwell with them according to knowledge. Now, how do you get to know someone? You spend time with them. Which is why we're told to dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Now, last week, I got on the wives, and uh, in one of my points, I talked about uh, being clingy, that a wife should not be clingy or needy. And of course, no husband wants a clingy or a needy wife. But let me just give you the other side of the coin on, on that dynamic. Sometimes the wife is clingy. Sometimes your wife is needy because she's not getting the attention that she needs. So your wife, you know, ladies, sermon for you, don't be clingy, don't be needy. Sermon for men, don't make your wife be clinging needy by ignoring her and not spending time with her. And you say, well, what do you mean by this? Here's what I mean by this, men. And especially in a church like this, and we're, we're fundamental Baptists, we're conservative Christians. I realize that not everybody here has this dynamic in their home. And if you don't have this dynamic in your home, I'm not picking on you. I'm not upset with you. Uh, but honestly, this sermon is in, within the context of a husband who goes to work and a, a wife who stays home and raises the children because that's what the Bible teaches. I realize that's not the situation for everybody. Not everybody can have that possibility. Some ladies would like to have that possibility and are able to. I'm not picking on you if that's not the case. You apply some of these things the best of your ability in your, in your situation, and I'll try to help you and, and make some applications along the way as well. But the, what the Bible teaches is that the man's supposed to go to work, the wife's supposed to stay home with the children and be a, a, a keeper at home. That's a biblical term. And, and, and you men need to realize that in many cases, for a homeschooling, stay-at-home mother 
you, her husband, may be the only adult interaction that she gets all day long. Do you understand that? Some of you are like, I don't understand why my wife is so clingy. Well, you, you get up early in the morning and go to the gym. You go to work all day. And then you go play video games with your buddies. And expect your wife to just be sitting at home, you know, twiddling her thumbs all day. You need to make your wife and spending time with your wife and spending time with your children a priority. You are to dwell with them according to knowledge. So ladies, if you're clingy or needy, get a life. I mean, I'm not trying to be mean or rude, but get a hobby, get some value to yourself, have some respect for yourself, do that. But you men, your wife may be clingy and your wife may be needy because you're ignoring her. Now let me read to you what Dr. Jack Howe said because some of you are already so mad at me that I'd rather you just get mad at him. Here's what he said in his book, page 86. He said, many husbands leave home in the morning and cross the path of many people throughout the day. They expect the wife that they leave at home to be alone until they return. And listen, guys, I'm, I'm trying to help you, honestly. Some of you are already mad at me, and that's fine. But if you listen to the sermon, I think you, you might be helped. You husbands, you say, well, what am I supposed to do? We, 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 homeschool, we have a homeschool situation. My wife stays home. We, you know, I have to go to work. I have to work long hours, whatever. I have to provide. The odds are stacked against me. Uh, we live in a society that is meant to be ran of two incomes. So having one income means I have to have another job or work long hours or work overtime. Look, I get that. And, and if you're providing for your family, then, then, then that's good. Now, if you're, if you're providing for your covetous wants, that's a different story. But what I'm saying to you is you need to make a priority of spending time with your family. You need to make a priority of spending time with your wife. You need to make a priority of spending time with your children. You're only going to have those kids for 18, 20, whatever, 22 years, and then they're going to be gone. And oftentimes, if you, if you do look at the research, many divorces happen right after the children leave the home. Because a husband and a wife, after their children get married and leave the home, they look over at each other and realize that they're strangers to each other. They don't even know each other. They haven't taken the time to spend time together to cultivate their relationship. So husband, be mindful of the fact that you need to spend time with your wife and your children. But let me just say this, because some of you are a little narcissistic. You are not the only relationship she needs. You say, well, I do spend time with my wife. Okay, but she needs to spend time with other people. And you know, let me just say this, husband, you should prioritize the fellowship time that your wife and your children get at church. Amen. And I realize some of you husbands are like, well, I don't, I, I don't need to spend time hanging out with people at church. I, I, I go to work and I talk to people all day long. Okay, but your wife doesn't. So why don't you stop being so stinking selfish and realize that maybe you don't need to talk to anybody. Maybe you don't need any friends. Maybe you've got enough people to talk to and, and hang out with throughout the day. But maybe your wife doesn't. And maybe you should prioritize the fact that she's at home all day with children and uh, not having any sort of adult interaction or conversation. So when you come to church on a Wednesday night, let her hang out for a while. Amen. You come to church on a Sunday night, let her spend time fellowshipping. Amen. Husbands should prioritize the fellowship that their wife and their children get. Because oftentimes it's the only fellowship they have. Number three, I told you they're going to get progressively worse. Number one, help your wife reach her potential. 
To help your wife reach her potential, you must be spiritual. Number two, to help your wife reach her full potential, you must make spending time with your wife and children a priority. Number three, go to 1 Timothy, if you would. 1 Timothy chapter 5. You're there in, in first, if, if you kept your place in, in uh, 1 Peter, and, and you go backwards from there, you've got James, Hebrews, Philemon, Titus, 2 Timothy, 1 Timothy. I'm not sure if I asked you to keep your place there. I should have. If you didn't keep your place there, just find the T-books in the New Testament. They're all clustered together. 1 2 Thessalonians, 1 2 Timothy, Titus. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Here's number three. I said number one, how to help your wife reach her full potential. Number one, you must be spiritual. Number two, you must make spending time with your wife and children a priority. Number three, to help your wife reach her full potential, embrace your role as her provider. Embrace your role as her provider. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8. The Bible says, But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. That's a pretty harsh statement, to be worse than an infidel. The Bible teaches that in a marriage that is structured biblically, the husband is to provide for the needs of the home, to provide for the wife and to provide for the children. And honestly, uh, let me just say this. Uh, I'm going to pick on you guys this morning, uh, but let me just go ahead and, and, and give you a compliment. Oftentimes, I, I'm shocked and impressed by the men of this church who have, you know, the ones that have the guts to show up for a sermon like this, at least, <laughs> who've got the odds stacked against them, who, who live in a society and a culture that has been designed. Do you realize we live in a society that has been designed to live off of two incomes? Because they do not want the nuclear family. They do not want the wife to stay home with the children. They want the wife to have to go off to work because they want you to have to send your kids off to some government institution for 40 hours a week so that they can brainwash them. They're not teaching them how to read. They're teaching them LGBTQ garbage. So we live in this society that is designed to have two incomes, and yet this church is filled, and I think it's miraculous, it's filled with men that work jobs, that provide for their families, not only provide for their families, but provide well for their families, and they show up to church Sunday morning, show up to church Sunday night, show up to church Wednesday night, show up so many, hey, man, I, can, I, I commend you, Amen. if that's you. You are to provide. Go to Colossians, Colossians chapter 3. If you're there in 1 Timothy, go past 2 Thessalonians, backwards, past 1 Thessalonians, into the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 3. And if you're here this morning and you say, that's not the case, I'm not mad at you, I'm not picking on you, but, I, but I'm not going to lie to you. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that men are to provide. Number three, to help your wife reach her full potential, embrace her role as a provider. Now, I preach that a lot, and I hope you understand that. But let me just say this to you men. You cannot, well, look at the verse, Colossians 3.19. I think this is a very interesting verse, Colossians 3.19. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Now, why does God have a verse in the Bible that tells husbands to not be bitter against their wives? Well, I'll tell you why he has this verse in the Bible. Because there are many husbands who are bitter against their wives. And they might be bitter against them for all sorts of things, but let me just apply it to this idea of being a provider. You, husband, cannot be resentful towards your wife and children for having to be their provider. You understand what I just said? It's your job to pay the bills. 
It's your job to pay for what she needs, for what the children need, and you cannot allow yourself to become resentful because you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. That would be like your wife being resentful that she has to make dinner. It's her job. Well, let me tell you something. It's your job, sir, to pay the bills. So don't resent the fact that you have to pay. You say, oh, my kids had this bill and that bill, and they've got this going on, that that going on. Hey, praise the Lord. They've got a father and a husband who's a provider and provides for their needs. Now, we realize that being the provider doesn't mean that we give them everything, and oftentimes we can't give them everything. But what I'm saying is this. You provide for their needs, and you provide for them, and you see your role as a provider and do not become bitter about it. When my wife and I got married, we made the decision together that we would have home births, that our children would be born at home. Our first son wasn't, uh, but all of our other children have been born at home. And for years and years, and we have six children, and for years and years and years and years and years, (laughs) before we had Samaritan Ministries, which is what we have now, I was in the military, and the military would not pay for our home births. And the reason they wouldn't is because they had a military base and we could have gone and had the babies there for free. But for years and, and for you know, most of our children, we paid cash to have our children. We paid a midwives and doulas and all whatever, all the different things we had to pay to have our children at home because that's what we believe was the best for our children. Not the best for our bank account. The best for our children. That's what we believe. Now, you may not agree with me or whatever. That's, that's neither here or there. I'm just making the point. We chose to do that. We could have had the government, the, the, the Air Force pay for it. We chose to pay for it ourselves. And look, here's all I'm saying to you, man. You're making a mistake when you're complaining about, oh, your wife has this medical bill, or your kids have this medical bill, or you've got uh, this thing or that thing or whatever. You're making a mistake to complain about it. All you're going to do is cause your wife to lose respect for you. Because your job is to be the provider. Your job is to be the leader. Now, if something comes up and you literally physically can't make it happen, then that, that's, that's, that's another situation. But I'm talking about men who have no problem spending hundreds and thousands of dollars on their little hobbies and gadgets and toys and this and that, and then complain about their wife, complain about their children. You need to see your role as the role of the provider and embrace it. Now, let me say this to those of you who maybe your wife works. And again, I'm not mad at you. I'm not picking on you. I'm never going to lie to you. And if you were a man with some character, you would appreciate that. Let me say this. If you and your wife share the role of provider, meaning your wife goes to work, that's just how it is. That's just how it got set up and that whatever. If you share the role of provider, then you must also share the responsibilities of a homemaker. You can't send your wife to work and then expect her to do all the, all the housework either. If your wife works, you know, if that's your situation, all right. But help her. And look, I'll be honest with you, and, and this is just my opinion. There are some situations, now my wife's never going to work. My wife already has a part-time job. It's called Verity Baptist Church. She just doesn't get paid anything. 
She's already a full-time counselor. She's already a full-time event planner. She already puts on ladies' teas and bridal showers and baby showers and councils and does all these things and, and doesn't get paid one red cent. And you say, why are you saying that? Because some of you need to appreciate your pastor's wife a little more. Amen. So, you know, my wife's never going to have a job because she already has a job. She just doesn't get paid for it. She'll, she'll get paid in heaven. But, you know, if, if your wife, your kids are grown out of the house and, and your wife wants to get a little job, a little part-time job somewhere, I don't, think that's, I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. I don't think that's terrible. Now, if your kids are home, then, then, then be home with your children and educate them and, and, and raise them. But if your kids are grown, now my wife, now I, I just, for sake of my wife's never going to do that. Once my kids are grown out of the house, she will continue to be a homemaker. But if you decide to do something different, your wife gets a little job somewhere, hey, that's not the worst thing. That's not terrible. If your kids are grown and out of the house and those responsibilities have been, have, have passed, then I don't think that's worse, the, the worst thing in the world. But I am saying this, husband, if your wife works in any capacity, then you need to help her. If you're going to share the role of provider, then you need to share the responsibilities of homemaker. Number four, go to Proverbs chapter 31. Proverbs chapter 31. If you kept your place in Ecclesiastes, if you go backwards from Ecclesiastes, uh, you have the book of Proverbs. If you kept your place in Ecclesiastes, right before Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31, of course, is the famous passage on the virtuous woman. Proverbs 31, verse 16, the Bible says this, She, the virtuous woman, considereth a field and buyeth it. I want you to notice what the Bible says here. She considereth a field. What does that mean? She's thinking. She's processing things in her head. And buyeth it. With the fruit of her hands, she planted the vineyard. Here's statement number four. To help your wife reach her full potential, give her access to money. Give her access to money. Now, many years ago, I wrote a premarital counseling curriculum that we've used here for years and years and years and years and years. In fact, probably, I, I would imagine that if, if you have, if I've performed your wedding, you have gone through this curriculum. And let me just give you some thoughts regarding money. And again, specifically, I'm talking about in the situation where you have a husband who's a provider and a wife who stays home. Now, you could apply this in different ways, but that's the primary application by which I'm, I'm, I'm stating this. We at Verity Baptist Church have always recommended through our premarital counseling, postmarital counseling, right before divorce counseling, or whatever, all of it counseling. We have always recommended that married couples share one bank account. One bank account that's shared. I do not believe that it's right for a husband or wife to have separate bank accounts and, and, and I'll just, just be honest with you, I don't think it's healthy for a man to just have a, a separate bank account. Now, you men, you say, well, I'm the leader. You're the leader, but you should be strong enough of a leader to be accountable. And I think in both husband and wife situations, everyone should know where the money's going. Amen. So we've always advised that husbands and wives share one bank account. Some of you are like, oh, I got that. Okay, well, I'm about to get on you. We have also advised that both husbands and wives have access to the shared account. Amen. So this little situation where we're like, well, yeah, I'm the husband. I've got all the money. I've got the card. I've got everything. And my wife has no access to the account. You will never have a virtuous woman. Because a virtuous woman considereth the field and buyeth it. 
That means that she's got some money to spend. And if, and if you are just cutting off your wife from all access to money, now, let me just give some disclaimers, because some of you guys are going to get mad at me or whatever. If your wife has a gambling problem, okay, that's a different situation. You understand what I'm saying? You're, you're, you're laughing, but it's true. If, if there's some sort of an issue here where money has to be restricted for a reason, then you need to get an accountability pa- uh, partner like a pastor or a pastor's wife or someone, and we can help you out with that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just a situation where a husband and wife are married, they should have one account, and both husband and wife should have access to that bank account. Number three, and, and let me, letter C, let me say that, because I'm giving you eight points. And so I'm, I'm still on this point of, of access to money. Okay, letter C, sub point. We have always recommended for years through premarital counseling that a wife is given an allotment to purchase things that she is responsible for. Let me just say this when it comes to money. Don't have this this you versus me mentality. Once you got married, you became one flesh, and it's ours. It's our money. So I make all the money, and she she stays at home, doesn't have an income. It's our money. By the way, let me say this. It's our debt. This is something, husbands get all bitter. Well, I got married, and, and then she has all these student loans. It, no, it's not her student loans. It's our student When you said I do, it became our student loans, our debt. And whatever side it's on, it's ours. You're one flesh. So don't have this, it's mine, it's yours. No, 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 no. You're one flesh, it's ours. If it's debt, if it's money, if it, whatever it is, it's ours. We have advised that wives be given an allotment to purchase things that she is responsible for. for. Say, what does that mean? That means a certain amount each month to spend on groceries or household goods or whatever it is. It is, it's always so silly to me. And I look, again, I'm going to upset all of you and whatever, I don't care. I don't care. I always think to myself, I always think, this is what I think. I don't say it, but this is what I think. Because I hear about this so often. And look, I'm going to say this. Some of you are, he's preaching against me. I'm preaching against like five of you right now. All right? And I don't care. But it's so, I always think to myself like, rookie mistake. Where husbands will be fighting with their wives about like, what brand of something they're buying at the grocery store. And it's just like, what are you doing? Just give her a budget. Give her a budget. We can spend X amount of dollars on groceries and then just let her buy groceries. Amen. She considereth the field and buyeth it. She doesn't have to sit there and run by you. Is Oscar Mayer okay? Or can we go with the Walmart brand? Like, what in the world? I, to me, I'm just sure. Like, you have that much time? It is always a silly thing. You say, I'm mad at you. Okay, well, hear hear what Jack Howes has to say. Page 85 of his his book. It is is wise for a husband who is responsible for the finances in a household to give his wife an allowance. This could be an allowance for groceries with a generous amount left over for miscellaneous needs that the wife may have. And look, I'm just telling you that you need to just Allow your wife to have access to money, and if she's responsible for certain things, just give her a budget. Just tell her, here's how much you can spend on groceries. Here's how much you can spend on clothes. Here's how much you can spend on decorate, whatever. Whatever she's responsible for, and then let it be. Amen. Don't be like the taskmasters. I was talking to my wife about this. She gave me this thought. Don't be like the taskmasters of Egypt 
who are like, you, you're going to make brick, but I'm going to make it as hard as possible for you. You're like expecting to come home through a three-course meal with dessert off of the $5.25 you give her for groceries for the month. And, 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 and you're just like, like don't, don't be like the taskmaster. You, know, you want her to build something? Give her the tools to do it. And how about this one? Don't be like Jesus and expect her to multiply five loaves and three fishes either. <laughs> Look, it's expensive to feed a family. You know, we're a family of eight, my wife and I, and we have six children. You know that we spend more money on groceries than any other bill. We spend more money on groceries than, than, than our mortgage. We spend more money on groceries than gas. We spend more money on groceries than any other bill we have. Now, that's not true for some of you because you've got so much debt and stupidity that that's a different story for another day. But what I'm telling you is it's expensive to run a household, and you ought to, have a, you ought to want to have a virtuous woman who can consider a field and think about it for herself. She has access to money, and she buys it. So we've always recommended that a wife be given an allotment to purchase the things that she is responsible for. Letter D. We have always recommended... Some of you are like, well, there's more letters? Yeah. <laughs> We have always recommended for years in our premarital counseling course that a wife has her own spending money to purchase things for herself. You say, well, you said it's not ours and this. And look, that's true. But I think, men, you would be wise to allow your wife to just have her own spending money. Now, you say, well, where does that come from? Look, this spending money could come from Money she receives for her birthday, money she gets on for Christmas, you know, just gifts she might get throughout the year. Maybe her parents give her money for her birthday or whatever. You know, and, and, and men, you would be wise to just give your money, give your wife money from time to time. Make sure she always has some spending money. Look, you realize that wives have to sometimes purchase personal things? She shouldn't have to come to you and ask for that. You'd be wise to just make sure that she always has some money that she can spend. That's her money. And, and, and let me just say this, and you may not agree with what I just said, and that's fine. You do whatever you want. But let me just, I'm trying to help some of you not end up divorced. The husband, I'm talking about in a biblical marriage where he's the provider and she's the homemaker, the husband should never take money that has been given to his wife. Did you hear what I just said? Somebody gives her money for her birthday, you don't put that in, your, in the account. Well, hey, Pastor said it's our money. Use that for my hunting trip. You're an idiot. Never, if, if people have given your wife money for her birthday or Christmas or just because they, or something, don't ever take that from her. And if anything, you should be giving her money. Give her an allowance, give her an allotment. Get, let her have, look, let her have her own money. Give her access to money. Number five. You're there in Proverbs 31. Go to Proverbs 14. Proverbs chapter 14. I said number one, to help your wife reach her full potential, she, you must be spiritual. And again, if you're here this morning, you're like, man, you're really just picking on the guys. I really picked on the ladies last week, Okay. So don't, don't give me this garbage. I'll, I'll, I'm picking on everyone. You wait till I get to the children. You know what I'm saying? 
There'll be crying children everywhere. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. When I preach about the children, I'll actually be getting on the parents, but that's a different. Number five, to help your wife reach her full potential, give her areas of responsibility. Give her areas of responsibility. Proverbs 14, are you there? Look at verse 1. Proverbs 14, 1. Every wise woman buildeth her house. I love that verse. Every wise woman buildeth her house, but the foolish plucketh it down with her hands. Look, your wife ought to be given areas of responsibility. And let me just say this, men. Don't micromanage her. Don't micromanage her. Give her freedom in the areas you've given her. I recently read this quote somewhere. I thought it was a good quote. Delegate responsibility, not tasks. Delegate responsibility, not tasks. And what what that means is delegate areas of responsibility, not tasks. Now, if your follower, because that applies to any area of, of leadership, if your follower is competent, then you can delegate areas of responsibility where you're just telling where you're just telling a man, here, here, you take care of the safety team, right? We're just telling a man, here, you take care of the ushers. Where you're just telling a man, here, you take care of the music ministry. Not every little task, I need to know every little thing and when you're meeting, and I don't need to know that. I'll just, let me, if, if they're capable followers, you can just delegate responsibility, not tasks. Now, let me say to some of you men at work, the reason may be that you're not being delegated responsibility and your boss is just having to know every step of everything you're doing is because you're dropping the ball. And, and maybe they want to give you responsibility and you just keep failing at it, so maybe you just got to get smarter and be better at your job. But you know what a leader should be doing is delegating responsibility. I can say, look, you be responsible for this. Obviously, check in with me. Obviously, I'm in charge. Obviously, I'm the boss. But you just take care of things and just run things, uh, major things by me, and you cover the details. That's how it should work. And in your marriage, it should be the same way. You should be able to delegate responsibilities to your wife and then give her freedom to take care of those responsibilities. Why? Because every wise woman buildeth her house. That's, you know, that's her kingdom. You say, well, I'm the king of the castle. Whatever, you're the king of the castle. It's her kingdom. So you know what? When it comes to preparing meals for the household, we already talked about grocery shopping, meal planning. Just let her deal with that. When it comes to decorating the house, furniture, pictures, curtain, you know, just let her deal with that. When it comes to homeschooling the children, curriculums or styles, just let her decide on that. Obviously, as a husband, you, you know, you can't just let her remodel the house every other week and end up bankrupt as a result of that. Obviously, there has to be some oversight. But here's all I'm saying is, if the kids are being educated, I mean, I look at my kids and I think, well, they're smarter than I, than I was at that age, and they're smarter than I am now. So she must be doing something right. So I don't, I don't need to sit there and well, what are you doing every day? What's going on at 8.57 in the morning? I mean, are you ridiculous? Give her areas of responsibility. And then don't micromanage her. And just let her do her thing. Let her do her job. But I'm just telling you, look, I'm just telling you that if I walked into my house on Monday after work 
after I come here and meet with the guys and do the meetings or whatever, if I walked into my house on Monday and the couch was where the dining room table was before and the dining room table is where the couch was before, I said, what would you do, Pastor? At dinner time, I'd go sit down at the dinner table. I don't care where it is. I don't care if it's in the dining room. I don't care if it's in the living room. I don't care if it's in the patio. I don't care. I've delegated that to my wife. Look, honey, you're in charge of the house. Some of you guys are so uptight about everything. Then you wonder why you just, we're just fighting all the time. We're fighting all the time. It's because you, stupid. I, why do you care? Why do you care where she puts the, the, the whatever? I don't, I, I don't even know. I, I know so little about kitchens. I, don't, I can't even tell you. What's that red thing that we have, the, the whirling thing? I don't even know what it's called. My wife's not going to. What's it called, honey? Just tell me. The KitchenAid. Why do you care where the KitchenAid is? Are you an idiot? Oh, why do you even notice? Sometimes I walk into my house and my wife's like, oh, what do you think about this? I'm like, great. I'm like, what, what? <laughs> Whatever it is, it's great. <laughs> I should have been sick. Yeah, you should have. <laughs> Go ahead and be mad at me, but you know what? This June, we'll be, my wife and I will be celebrating 19 years of marriage, which is longer than some of you have been alive that are married. <laughs> You'd be wise to listen to what I'm telling you. Quit micromanaging your wife. Give her areas of responsibility and let it be. Here's what Jack Howe said, so you can be mad at him. Page 84. I've always felt that it is wise for a husband and wife to divide the areas of decision-making rather than making all decisions together. He goes on to say, not only does this kind of arrangement prevent potential confrontations, it also gives the wife an area of responsibility where the decision-making is hers. So number five, to help your wife reach her full potential, give her areas of responsibility. Give her areas where she's just responsible. Just, just let it be. Number six, go to Genesis chapter number two. First book in the Bible should be fairly easy to find, Genesis chapter two. To help your wife reach her full potential, number one, you must be spiritual. Number two, you must make spending time with your wife and children a priority. Number three, you must embrace your role as a provider. Quit complaining about it. Number four, you must give her access to money. Number five, you must give her areas of responsibility. Number six, to help your wife reach her full potential, don't cut her off from her family. To help your wife reach her full potential, don't cut her off from her family. Genesis 2.24, therefore shall a man, therefore shall a man, therefore shall a man, I'm, I'm assuming I'm talking to men, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. Now look, often we use this verse and I've used this verse to to apply it in different ways in the sense that husbands and wives need to leave father and mother and all that. But please, and, and I agree with that and I will continue to do that. But please understand, it says, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother. And you know what I often see is these mama's boys. And in case you don't know what a mama's boy is, let me, let me just help you diagnose yourself. 
when, when a husband takes the position that we will spend Thanksgiving, Christmas, my birthday, my mama's birthday, and my wife's birthday will all be spent with my mama? You're a mama's boy! When you're like, every possible free minute we have will be spent with my mama, you're a mama's boy. And here's the thing, nothing wrong with being a mama's boy. You want to be a mama's boy? Be a mama's boy. I don't have a problem with that. But what I think is funny, what I think is funny is when mama's boy then says, but, but we won't have Thanksgiving with your parents, to his wife. Look, if you want to have Thanksgiving with your parents, great. But don't you think she'd like to have Thanksgiving with her parents maybe some, sometimes? Your wife doesn't want to spend her birthday with your mama. It, it, it's just, you just say, you, spending your anniversary with your family is weird. Now, if it's husband, wife, and children, that's a different, that's, I'm talking about that. I'm like, you're going on a romantic getaway and you brought your mama? That's, it's odd. Your wife may want to spend time with her family. You should not cut her off. Here's what Jack Howell said, page 93. Remember, she belonged to her parents before she belonged to you. In most cases, those parents dearly love their children. You should do everything you can to help her develop a relationship with her mom and dad that reaches its highest potential. Never criticize her parents. Get to know them well. Love them and be close to them. It is sad to see a husband who is jealous of his wife's parents, especially of her father, how tragic and how selfish. Listen, guys. You say, well, I want to spend time with my family. Good, nothing wrong with that. But make sure she gets to spend time with her family. And look, in my, in my marriage, you know, I don't talk about this often. But you know that it, in, in our marriage, there was a time when our church, many of you know this, we were going through protests in 2016 and had all sorts of things going on. You know, there was a point during that whole mess that I had to literally stop one of my wise family members from coming to our church because they wanted to come and cause problems. And that put me at odds with that family member. But you know what? Never once did I cut, did I tell my wife to cut that person off. Never once. Fine, never. I've never told my wife and cut her off from her family. Even when I had to restrain them from coming to our church. Now, let me just say this. My wife herself has cut off some of her family members that are really bad people. And, and that's great. But even in this situation, this individual that I had to restrain from coming to church, even years later, when they apologized and, and tried to make it right, you know, I just completely forgave them and said, I forgive you. We never have to talk about this again. I've never tried to cut my wife off from her family. A good husband never would. You say, why? You know, you know what the Bible teaches? That if you were to die, that a young wife should go back to her father? Have you thought about that? I mean, if my, my kids get married, my 28-year-old sons are married, and they have kids, and they die, right? Or, or their wife dies. You know, my wife and I are going to step in and help them wherever we can. But you know what they're not going to do is they're not going to move in with us. You say, why? Because they're 28-year-old men. But you know, if my 28-year-old daughter, who was married and had children, her husband died, you know, we'd have her move back in with us until she made sure she was taken care of, uh, until she got married again. 
So listen, sir. You say, well, I don't, we don't need anything. You don't, but what about your wife? Help your wife reach her full potential. Don't cut her off from her family. Realize that she has a family too. She has a mama too. And you know, gentlemen, the same way that you're a mama's boy, usually ladies are daddy's girls. So stop coming between that. Number seven, go to Revelation 19. Revelation 19, last book in the Bible. Revelation 19. Now, I'm going to read a verse to you that may seem a little odd to you, but I, I want to read it, and I'll make the application. We're talking about how to help your wife reach her full potential. Number one, you must be spiritual. Number two, you must embrace your role as a provider. Number three, you must give her access to money. Number four, you must give her areas of responsibility. Number five, I'm sorry, I'm sorry that was number five. Number six, you must not cut her off from her family. Number seven. To help your wife reach her full potential, let her be her own person. Let her be her own person. Now, I want to read this verse to you, and you're going to think it's odd, but I'll explain why I chose this verse. Revelation 19, 16. And he, just, for you, so you, just so you have the context, this is Jesus coming. This is Jesus at his second coming. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. I want you to notice what Jesus referred to. Not king and lord. No, that's not Jesus. He's not king and lord. He is king of kings and lord of lords. Amen. Now, wouldn't you say that you, being a king and being a lord would be impressive, but being a king of kings and being a lord of lords is even more impressive. Let me, let me help some of you guys out. Some of you men just struggle so much with this idea of leadership. And I get it. It's difficult. But let me help you understand something about your leadership and the strength of your leadership. The strength of your leadership is displayed by the strength of your followers. The strength of your leadership is displayed by the strength of your followers. Say, what does that mean? Here's what it means. If my followers, right, any, whatever leader, it doesn't matter, home, as a pastor, as a business owner, if your followers are strong, intelligent, capable leaders in their own right, that says something about you. You understand what I just said? Now, if the only people that you can get to follow you are dumb, incompetent, insecure, unsure, unconfident people, that also says something about you. You understand what I just said? Now look, and, I, I know, I, and please understand, I, I, what I'm about to say, I say this from, from, a, from, from a heart of humility, and I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. But oftentimes, I am humbled. Oftentimes, and I'm not going to name names, but oftentimes, I look out at the men of this church, and we've got some impressive men. I mean, strong, intelligent, capable, successful. We've got some high-value men around here. And oftentimes, I am humbled by the fact that these men would call me pastor. And I, and I am not trying to pat myself on the back, but I will say this, that it does encourage me to, when I look at some of the men in our church, and I say, man, these, these are smart men. These are strong men. These are successful men. These are capable men. It, I, I believe it says something about my leadership. I hope it does. 
Now, if all I had around here was a bunch of unemployed clowns, do you, do you understand what I'm saying? That would also say something about my leadership. And, and here's what I'm saying to you guys. If your wife is dumb, incapable, confused, doesn't know anything about handling money, doesn't have any interests or skills, doesn't have anything else going on in life, isn't allowed to formulate or communicate a thought, if your wife is helpless, that says something about you. Because guys make these jokes, right? Well, just keep, keep her barefooted in the kitchen. Make sure she's dumb. If that's all you can get to follow you, then yeah, I guess so. I'm just saying, if your wife was like my wife, I mean, if, she, if your wife was capable, intelligent, confident, successful, godly, here's all I'm saying. Men, for this reason, you must help your wife become a capable person. Capable of caring for herself and her children. Now, you're here to, be capable, to, 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 to provide for her. But what if you died? Do you know that most men die before their wives? So what happens when you die and your wife can't drive? Your wife doesn't, need, doesn't have access to the bank account, doesn't even know where, what banks the bank accounts are in. She doesn't, she's always been told what to do, what to buy. You send her to a grocery store with a list and you formulate the list. She doesn't, she doesn't, even, doesn't know how to do anything. Then what? It says something about your leadership that you're trying to keep your wife down. Because you know the strongest leader this world has ever known, the Lord Jesus Christ, he's not the Lord of peasants. He's not the king of followers. No, no, no. He's such a strong leader. He's the king of kings. Amen. Kings submit to the great king. Lords submit to the great lord. And look, all I'm saying is this. In your leadership, your job, your, what your, your goal as a leader should be. And my goal, I'll tell you this. My goal as a leader Whatever area, as a pastor, as a husband, as a father, is that those that follow me would be capable, strong, intelligent individuals that would be leaders in their own right. Because that says something about me. But if I have to make sure that everybody around me is dumb and incapable, it just shows you that I'm a very insecure person. So here's the question I have for you, husband. Why are you so insecure about your wife having an opinion? Let her be her own person. You say, what does that mean? That means let her have her own time. Here's what Jack Howell said, just in case you're starting to get mad at me. Page 94. Few people have as little opportunity for privacy as does a busy housewife and mother. And an unselfish wife will oftentimes not take time to schedule her own privacy. The husband can help to make this possible. He goes on to say this on page, uh, 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 on page 93, I think. The wise husband will make this possible through babysitting himself or having a babysitter on occasion with regularity so that the wife can have some time that is hers. Not only should you be mindful about how much time you're spending away from your wife, but hey, how about letting her have her own time? 
hey, let her have her own car, if possible. Let her have her own car. Now, I understand that's not possible all the time, and I get that. I'm not saying God into debt, whatever. But if it's possible, let her have her own car. Hey, how about this? Let her have her own opinion. Here's what Jack Howell said. One of the best things that a husband and wife can do is to avoid exchanges of differing opinions unless such an exchange is beneficial. Concerning casual matters that are not of major importance, it is not necessary for the husband to correct his wife if he does not agree with an opinion. She is an individual. She has her own mind. She should be allowed to use it. Of course, she should be submissive, and a good wife will be. By the way, ladies, here's what he says to ladies. He says, it is usually wise for her, referring to the wife, not to express her opinion after the husband has expressed his. I don't like that. Okay, have a bad marriage. I don't care what you like. That's not what everybody else teaches. Everybody else is a failure. You want to have a marriage that is happy and joyful? Hey, gentlemen, let your wife be your own person. Let her have some time that is her own. Let her have, if, she, if you can, let her have her own vehicle. Let her ha- have her own opinion. Now, I don't think that a wife should be correcting her husband publicly or disagreeing with her husband publicly. And this is, you know, last week's sermon. You ladies need to stop arguing with your husbands publicly. Okay? It, it's, it's awkward. It's awkward for all of us, including those of us that are not in your marriage. <laughs> Especially for those of us that are not in your marriage. Let her have her own hobbies. Here's what Jack Howell said, page 88. As I sit here now, I'm thinking of a wonderful lady in our church. She lived for her husband, which is an admirable trait, but her husband almost imprisoned her. She had no life but his. He cared for everything. A few years ago, her husband died. I've never seen a more helpless person. She had no close friends that she had developed through the years. She had no awareness of financial responsibilities. She had no knowledge of how to make decisions wisely, and she had no activities that she had learned to do. She was simply a helpless child in a big world. I tried to help. Others tried to help. But her life will never reach its potential because her husband did not prepare her for the time that that she would not have him. Let her be her own person. Here's another one. Let her make her own major decisions. You say, well, what are you talking about? I thought I was a leader. You are the leader. You make decisions for yourself. You make decisions for the home. You make decisions for the children. But personal decisions, and, and I'm going to just go ahead and, because and, 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 usually when we're talking about this, we're talking about medical decisions. Look, if there's a decision that needs to be made that is not going to affect you, but it's a decision that's going to affect your wife, let her make that decision. Well, I'm the, I'm the boss. I'm in charge. I'm in charge. Yeah, you are, and you're an idiot. Look, if there, if there was a, a health issue where my wife had to make a decision and it wasn't going to affect me in any way, shape, or form, but it could be detrimental for her, I, I would have enough confidence in my leadership to say, honey, you make that decision. I, I'm not, I'm not going to make decisions that are going to hurt her because I'm on, on some power trip. Let her be her own person. I'm talking about the household and, 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 and life. You do it. But when it's decisions that are going to affect her, look, I'm just telling you, you want a wife who hates you and resents you for the rest of your life? Or do you want a wife that respects you and loves you? Let her make, make major decisions. If there's a decision that needs to be made that only affects her, look, here's all I'm telling you is I, I'm not going to say one thing to my wife about childbirth. 
Sorry, I'm not going to. Ah, uh, you're, you're a weak man. I understand that pride goes for destruction, but I'm probably a better leader than you are. When it comes to childbirth, you know who runs the show? My wife. If she wants a V8, I don't know if she ever has asked for a V8. I have no idea, okay? So I'm not saying that. Some of you are going to be like, oh, V8s are bad. Shut up. <laughs> if she wants, I don't know, armor, I think that's a thing, a drink. If she wants this, whatever she wants, you know, she wants to have a home birth. She wants to have a, a, a water birth. She want, it's going to cost me a million. Whatever it is, we just do it. You know why? Because that's her body. And when I stood at an altar and I said, I do, I said that I would be her protector. I said that I would be her provider. I said that I would be everything that she needed me to be. So I'm not going to make decisions that are going to make her or hurt her or cause her to have. I'm not going to make decisions that are make her be resentful towards me for the rest of my life either. So I'm talking about, look, in leadership, you make the decision. You be in charge, you decide. But if it's something personal, medical, having to do with the health of her body or the baby that's inside of her, just you'd be smart if you just said, hey, honey, you know what? I'm enough of a secure man to say, you do what you want, and I'll pay for it. That's what a strong man does. Weak men, it's costing me too much. My mama said, shut up. If the only way you can leverage leadership is through being overly controlling, this says something about you, men. You are compensating for something. You're weak and you're petty. And I say this to you from a heart of love. (laughs) Here's what Jack Howell said. I deplore the woman's liberation movement, but I also deplore the imprisonment of wives by abusive and dictatorial husbands. Number eight, and you're like, oh, finally, praise the Lord. (laughs) Go to Proverbs chapter 18. I should have allowed the wives to say amen. (laughs) Proverbs chapter 18, if you go back to Ecclesiastes or Proverbs right in the middle of your Bible. To help your wife reach her full potential, number eight, never criticize her or compare her to others. Proverbs 18, 22, whoso findeth a wife, findeth a good thing. Whoso findeth a wife, findeth a good thing, and obtaineth favor of the Lord. Here's what Jack Howell said, page 97 of his book. How sad it is when husbands criticize, when, how sad it is when a husband criticizes his wife's cooking or her housework or some other area of her responsibility. You will never get what you want by using this method of criticism. Never criticize her. Never, never, never. Exclamation point. Don't criticize your wife. Let me just say something to you mama's boys. Don't, don't ever let these words come out of your mouth. Well, my mama used to... Don't ever say that. Well, I like your pancakes, but my mama... Don't, just stop. Don't criticize your wife. Don't compare her to other women. You have found who's so fine of the... Why find out the good thing? You know what you have is a good thing. You say, well, you don't know my wife. Here's what I know. You tricked her into marrying you. <laughs> so it's, 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 it's got to be good for you. No one else would. 
I, I'm just telling you guys, I'm just telling you, man, you hold the power to help your wife reach her full potential. But in order to do that, you must be spiritual. In order to do that, you must make spending time with your wife and children a priority. In order to do that, you must embrace your role as her provider. You will provide her needs to the best of your ability and the children. You need to give her access to money. We, we are not some Islamic cult. I'm sorry. She needs to be able to get, you know, how, she needs to be able to get in a car and get some cash out if you're passed out somewhere in an emergency. You understand that? You need to give her her own areas of responsibility and stop micromanaging her. You need to make sure you're not cutting her off from her family. You need to make sure that you're letting her be her own person with her own time and her own opinions and her own hobbies. And you need to make sure you never criticize her or compare her to others. Let me just finish with this one Jack House, this last Jack House quote, and we'll be done. Page 97. Here's what he said. Her marriage to you and her association with you should enable her to accomplish more and reach higher potential than she could ever have accomplished or reached had she not married you. I hope that's true of me as a husband. I hope that's true of you as a husband, that your wife is better off because of marrying you. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I realize that when we speak on subjects like marriage, it can be very sensitive. But Lord, I, I pray you'd help us all as men to take these thoughts. And Lord, where we're failing, to decide to get better. There are areas on this list of eight things that I could get better at. And I want to be a strong enough man to acknowledge that. And to say, I can get better here. I can get better there. Help us to be men that are strong, providers, protectors. That we meet our potential so that we can help our wives meet their potential. And Lord, I do thank you for the men of this church. I'm humbled by these strong, capable, intelligent men. And Lord, I pray that you would help them to go home and be strong, capable, intelligent, empathetic husbands. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. We'll have Brother Matt come up and lead us in a final song. Just want to remind you.